Um, we're going to have a short meeting, five minutes less. We have something to vote on, um, and uh, it's yay or nay, and then then we can leave. So, yeah. I want to welcome Sister Sonia Jim back to church. She's been away. Oh, Sonia, God bless you. Welcome her home. She's been she's been wandering in the world. <laughs> Um, the other uh, announcement that I have to make is that I'm, I've promised our coach of discipleship that I would lead an adult class, and so far, I haven't produced. But I am today, if anybody's interested, at 4 o'clock this afternoon, downstairs, if anything intrigues you about the passages that I'm going to be referring to this morning, and um, I'm going to be talking about some stuff that you're going to say, what? <laughs> so if, if you are interested in talking about it, downstairs, 4 o'clock, I have the coffee on. And uh, if anybody shows up, I'll have a package of cookies to share. If you want anything else, you have to bring it. And if nobody comes at 4 or 5, I'm going to go home and just relax for the afternoon. So, whatever. <laughs> but I'm going to be there, and if you're interested in talking about some of this stuff, come, because uh, I find it really fascinating and really intriguing. I've been talking about the history of salvation from the very beginning all right up to the time of Christ. This is a pretty short series that's going to take us up to Thanksgiving, and that's going to come rather quickly. And somewhere in there, or shortly thereafter Thanksgiving, we're going to be doing a, a stewardship time, a stewardship sermon and all that. So, but, but for now, the history of salvation. So, of course, it starts with creation itself, which is perfect. When men sinned, and that's the next step, death came in. The forces of death entered. And the forces of death include hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes. Um, all of earth is affected by sin. This perfect, perfect world is no longer perfect. And it's not because God hasn't made it perfect. It's because the forces of death were introduced with the coming of sin, which he warned would happen. So then what's the next step? And it's, it's, it's a fascinating thing. Adam and Eve give birth to two children, Cain and Abel. The oldest one, Cain, the firstborn child to humanity, becomes a murderer. He kills his brother. Man, I suggest world, the world is off to a very bad start. 
Cain is jealous. The jealousy turns into hatred. The hatred turns into murder. And he's not jealous because his younger brother is better looking or smarter or more outgoing or any of that. He's jealous because he is certain God likes him better. Likes his offering better. And so he's so angry about that. And God speaks to him. This is why are you so upset? If you do what is right, you'll flourish. But instead of listening to God, he takes his brother out of the field and kills him. And he is punished. God says, you buried your brother in the ground and his blood screams out to me. And because of it, you can work the ground if you want to, but it will not produce for you. You will be a wanderer all the days of your life. You're going to have to shoot squirrels and eat them or something. Pick berries or whatever. Because if you try to farm the land, it isn't going to work. And Cain is deeply upset. And he says, God, my punishment is more than I can bear because the people of the earth, when they find me, they're going to be hunting for me. They're going to kill me. Hmm. He must have been a bit prophetic because at that point... Uh, he and his parents were the only people on earth, so he was definitely looking into the future. God says, no. If anyone tries to kill Cain, I will avenge him seven times. Seven times over. If someone tries to kill you, they will die. That's the implication of this. Huh. Okay, so... Um, then there's... There's another child born. In a sense, to replace Abel because he was murdered. And the next child is... His name is Seth. And the story that follows Seth is very different from the story that follows Cain. And it's very, very intriguing to me. As you follow the descendants of Cain, by the way, <laughs> There are women born at this time because these men have to marry somebody. Sorry, their names are not usually mentioned. So there's women, but they're not mentioned. So what happens is that Cain has a child whose name is Enoch. 
Now, he's not the Enoch that we know who is the great-great-great-grandson of Seth. We're going to talk about him. This is Cain's son, Enoch. And then Arad's another child, Mahujael, Methushael, his names are strange. And then comes Lamech. Lamech is the great, great, great grandson of Cain. And we read something rather strange. He calls out his wife, two wives, by the way, it's the first record in the scriptures where a man has two wives. He does. And his wives must be worried about something. They're worried because they know that Lamech has killed someone. And he says to his two wives, wives of Lamech, listen to me. You have nothing to worry about in essence. Now I'm adding some words here, but that's the essence of what's going on. Don't worry because if anybody tries to get revenge, if anyone tries to kill me, you're, you're going to be okay. Don't worry about it because I'm going to be okay. Because if my great, great, great grandfather came, if God said of him, if anyone tries to kill Cain, they will be judged seven times over. Let me tell you what's going to happen. If anybody tries to kill me, in essence, there will be war. Because not seven are going to die. Eleven times that. Seventy-seven. If my great-great-grandfather would be avenged seven times over, those who try to kill me will be killed seventy-seven times over. This is not God speaking, however. This is Lamech speaking. Violence has entered the world through the offspring, the descendants of Cain. It becomes very, very serious. Then the scripture tells us about the descendants of Seth. That's really interesting. Uh, after Seth, uh, there comes Enosh, who lives 905 years. There is nothing said about the longevity of the descendants of Cain. But the descendants of Seth, they are very different people. So Adam himself lives to be 930 years. Seth lives 912 years. His son Enosh lives 905 years. His son Canaan lives 910 years. 
until finally we go from Canaan to Jared, who lives 962 years, and finally to Enoch. And then there's something very different about this Enoch. The scripture goes on to say that Enoch was faithful to God. <laughs> he doesn't live to be 900. And somewhere around the age of 365, they're about, I'd have to look at my notes. God just takes him away. Because he is so faithful. He has a son, Methuselah, who lives to be 969 years. The descendants of Seth are a whole different breed. They have longevity that's unbelievable. And then finally, Methuselah gives birth to Noah. And Noah, like his grandfather Enoch, it is said of him, he walks faithfully after the Lord. The great-great-grandson of Cain is a murderer who is extremely violent. The great-great-great-grandson of Seth is so faithful to God Nothing of death is even said of him. Enoch walks with God, and he was not because God took him. Which may have been the plan from the beginning. When Adam and Eve were born, and had they continued to serve God, and their children were there and served God, and the rest would serve God and on and on. And if the world became overly populated, God would probably say, okay, some of you, come with me. Don't bother dying. Just, just come home. That was probably in the original plan. And then, something weird happens. puts it like this in chapter 6. When the sons of men, the, the humans, began to increase over the number of earth, the daughters were born to them, of course. Finally, women are mentioned. 
The sons of God, chapter 6, verse 2. I told you, you're going to want to, you're going to, want to come and talk about this. This is intriguing. The sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful. And they married any of them they chose. And the Lord was not happy. The Lord said, my spirit will not contend with mankind, with the sons of men, forever. They are mortal. Their days will be about 120. That's very, very different from living to be 800, 900 years. So lifespan is greatly limited. Now this doesn't come into effect until well after Noah. But it does come into effect. By the time the Psalms are written, the psalmist says if you live to be 70 or if by reason of strength 80. That's about it. But what happens is that the sons of God, whoever they are, Look at the sons of men and Mary. And there's trouble brewing. The question is, who are they? Who are these sons of God that marry the daughters of men? Well, there have been three ideas put forth throughout history, and some of these ideas go clear back to the second, third, fourth, uh, hundred, hundred years after Christ, when theologians were wrestling with these texts. And one theory was that these are angels. All I can say is that that raises far more questions than it answers. There are no other texts that talk about angels, and the word angelios means messenger of God. There's no other text that suggests that the messengers of God come to earth, find women beautiful and marry them. There's nothing like that ever, anywhere. So, it raises questions. There's, a, there's another theory, and it has more going for it, in my opinion. It is that the sons of God are the sons of kings who have become tyrants. And they were probably looking back at the Roman emperors, the, the Greek leaders, who wanted to be looked at as gods. When they came riding through the streets in their golden chariots, they expected all of their people to bow down and worship them as gods. So, 
theologian said, maybe that's what's going on here. Maybe these gods are deified kings and their sons are looking at normal people, normal girls, and say, ooh, I like them. But I think that there's a better explanation. The children of Cain seem to be a very separate lineage from the children of Seth. And so some theologians suggest that the sons of God that's being referred to here are the sons of Seth, the children, the descendants of Seth. Let me explain. On the basis of that theory, on the basis of this thing, what seems to have happened is that there were two strains of human beings. One strain, one group of descendants take their lineage back to Cain, the son of Adam, and they call themselves the children of Adam. Adam. Translated, it simply means man. So they call themselves the children of men. The group that descended from Seth seem to have called themselves the children of Elohim, God. God, who created Adam and Eve, who then had Seth, and then Seth's children and children and children all the way down to Noah. And what seems to have happened, if I'm, if I'm translating this text correctly, and again, it's worth discussing, come at four. Did I say that? <laughs> what seems to have happened is that the children of Elohim, the sons of God, as it were, looked over and saw the daughters of Adam. So, ooh, aren't they something? Now, I don't know why they were attracted to them. Maybe because they were scantily dressed. Maybe there were rules for the children of Elohim. Maybe. Maybe they wore beautiful, attractive jewelry. I don't know why. But for some reason, the children of the Elohim group, the sons of the Elohim group, were very attracted to the daughters of the Adam group. And they married. And God was not pleased. 
immediately says, oh, 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 oh. My spirit will not always strive with mankind. Their years are going to be limited. Hundred years, okay, maybe. Hundred twenty? Not eight hundred. Not nine hundred. Something about the children. The children, particularly the sons, grew to be giants. There was something about that crossbreed that created unusually large, physically large sons. Maybe daughters too. So they are, they are called the Nephilim. It's a Hebrew word. And interestingly, the Hebrews, the Jews, always trembled in their boots at the thought that there might be some Nephilim floating around out there somewhere. So that when Moses sends Joshua and his spies to go into the promised land and to see what is there, a number of the spies shook in their shoes because the people that they saw in the promised land were huge. And they said, Nephilim, Nephilim, we can't go there. We don't dare go there because they have the Nephilim. So the children of the sons of God who married the daughters of men become huge. They also become wicked. Really, really wicked. The kind of wickedness that creates intolerable violence. And that's what God says to Noah. Because they are so corrupt, because they are so violent, I wish I had never created mankind in the first place. He says it again. Because of their violence, I'm going to destroy humanity. And he does with the flood. But there is somebody out there who is the direct descendant of Seth. He is the grandson of Enoch who walked with God and God just took him. 
He's the son of Methuselah, who is the oldest man who ever lived. And Noah, it is said of Noah, the very same words are used that was said of his grandfather Enoch. That Enoch was faithful and he walked with God. The same thing. Noah was faithful and he walked with God. And God said, okay. Noah, build an ark and make that thing huge. Make it about, doing some translation here, about 450 feet long. And make it about 45 feet wide. And make it equally tall. And I make two stories. Because I'm going to be sending you some animals. No, I didn't have to go animal hunting. I want you to take a pair of each. We're going to rescue everything that breathes. And you know the rest of the story. But there's some interesting things here. Noah builds an ark. He does everything that God commanded him. That's incredible. In the midst of everybody else doing their own thing or whatever, the rest of the world has become violent. The rest of the world has closed their minds off to any possibility of even hearing God. No. Does everything that God commanded him. He has decided. He has made a decision in his heart to obey God and to do God's will, whatever the cost. Because he wanted to. Think about that. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Father in heaven, your name is holiness. Holy, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, and in that kingdom, your will be done all over the earth as it is in heaven. It was the very purpose for which we have been made. To obey God. Just because we wanted to. And Noah fulfills that. 
as did his grandfather, Enoch. God saved the history of humanity because one man refused to be like everyone else. He refused to use his own abilities to harm other people. He refused to live only for himself. He refused to get into the violent, competitive spirit around him. Noah chose to do God's will on earth just as God's will is being done in heaven. Noah chose to live out the very purposes of God just as Jesus taught his disciples to pray. Noah was the one man who made that choice and it saved the world. You can only imagine Noah being mocked. You can only imagine him being criticized. Crazy Noah is building a boat miles away from any body of water. The world had never known rain before. They had certainly never known nonstop rain. The world had never known of a flood. But here was Noah building a boat far from the sea. Huge. And it must have seemed laughable. It must have seemed crazy. But Noah persisted. And that's our task. That's our calling. To be obedient even when no one else is obedient. Amen. To be faithful when no one else is being faithful. To do the will of God even if it seems laughable to others. To be a person of moral character even if no one else is. To not get into the spirit of violent competitiveness. To not get into the motivation of killing or be killed. To not get into the attitude of a dog-eat-dog world. You better eat them or you will be eaten. Noah says, yes, Lord, here am I, use me. That's our calling, to live for God when no one else is living to please God, instead are living to please themselves, even if we are all alone in that decision. I love that old song we used to sing in youth group. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back. It repeats.
repeats, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And another verse says, if none goes with me, still I will follow. If none goes with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. As God's redeemed people who have found Jesus, we have been given the gift of the Holy Spirit to abide within us. And the Holy Spirit enables us to do this though we never could before, to make a decision to follow God, to follow Christ, and not turn back. Let's pray.
life, the ups and downs. Joy comes from a consistent and focused relationship with Jesus Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. I'm about to close out here. I'm going to turn it back over to Kathy, and she's going to... I don't know what she's going to do. <laughs> 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with inexpressible and glorious joy. Aren't you? Do you know anyone who's living this level of life? Joy unspeakable. Full of joy. Do you know anyone? How do we live a focused life in Christ? Verse 14, and then I'm, I think I'm done. Kathy, is that okay? <laughs> John 15, verse 14. Watch this. You are my friends if you do what I command. God expects our obedience. He expects it. He doesn't just want us to obey. He demands that we obey. Wow. What kind of life are you living? It is a, is a life that counts. Is Jesus Christ the focus of your life? That means that everything you do centers around him. Everything. I'll close with this one sentence. Christianity, a Christian, disciple, follower of Jesus, is not a part-time life, a sometime life. It is not. It's an all-time life. It's a surrendered life. Giving up of self. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, Heavenly Father, that is the cry of our hearts this morning. Your people calling. In repentance, forgive us of our self-righteousness, of our pride, of our disobedience, a selfish life. That, Lord, we come before you this morning with one desire upon our hearts, and that's living a focused life in you and through you. Lord, I pray, and this is a bold prayer, whatever it takes, Lord, in the life of your people, professing Christians, your church, whatever it takes to bring us to our knees. and live 
a life centered on you. Put it before us, Lord. Put it before us. And in making that statement, I see one person. I see Jesus Christ. And then I see the power of the Holy Spirit working upon those that are within the sound of these words, this prayer, whether it be in this building or online. Specifically, people online. You're welcome in the house of the Lord. Don't make him a life of convenience. God is calling us to be one in Christ Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit moves within those that have been listening, those that have ears to hear. And the Holy Spirit moves them before your throne, on their knees, in repentance. and a desire to abide, to remain in you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Please stand, respond to how God has spoken to you this morning, whether you be here physically or you're visiting us online. There are people online that will respond to you in prayer, information giving. Whatever it may, you may need in your life this morning, you can find it in Christ Jesus. Kathy?